Clint Wojdinowski here from Bullpen Media, and we're in conversation with Neil Kolb from Baseline Media. A bit about Neil's recent past. His former company, Tifo Football, was a leader in visual and graphical storytelling about the beautiful game. He subsequently sold Tifo Football to The Athletic in April 2020. Now he's turned his gaze onto individual sports with his new company. Baseline Media produces visually rich, short-form content, podcasts and social media about the world of tennis, with golf to come soon. Tennis, being an individual sport, lots of tournaments and a year-round tour, does have its storytelling challenges and foibles. I spoke to Neil to talk a little bit about storytelling, the challenges with tennis media and his company's plans. Neil, thank you so much for joining me on In Conversation With. It's a real pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So we're not going to get too much into the past with TIFO football, but I want to just touch on it just with my first question. That editorial visual artistry, there's a particular style that is that TIFO style that you are going to be bringing to tennis or you are bringing to tennis with baseline, baseline media. What is the philosophy being around being such a visual storyteller, telling stories with such illustration, three dimensions? Yeah, just want to get into a bit of that philosophy. Well, it's a very good good question. And I think, you know, a simple answer would be that the way people want to consume content to these content these days, people want it to be a visual experience. People want it to be uh, an auditory experience. Uh, I think especially when that consumption is going to happen on a certain device or a certain platform, uh, you need to make content appropriate for that platform. And obviously uh, something like YouTube or something like other social media platforms like like Twitter, like Instagram, they, they're very visual and to a lesser degree auditory in, in nature. Uh, and I suppose, as, as the saying goes, a, a picture speaks a, a thousand words. Um, but I think it's also important to note that when you're telling a story, be it on YouTube, be it on other social media platforms, you only have a limited amount of time to tell that story. And your ability to utilize images, uh, be they illustrations or be they photographs, is such a powerful tool because those images, those photographs, um, tell a story in and of themselves. Uh, They can take a viewer back to to that time. They can remember, oh, I remember watching that event or I remember that point or I remember that episode. And with that, as you transport them back, they get all of those, those, those feelings. By the same token, there's so much more that you can do with a photo or with an illustration. You know, you can, you can add, literally add color to it. You can add context and depth to it. Whereas with footage in and of itself, you're limited by what you're seeing, by what the, 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 the angle of the camera is. And you're only seeing it from that, that viewpoint. So I think, the idea about using photos or, or illustrations is it's it's a it's a it's a good means by which to take invested emotions in those illustrations, in those photographs, and to tell to use that in the telling of that that story. I think in the case of of Tifo, 
one of the main reasons we we turned to illustration was was far more practical in nature. Uh, it was because we obviously didn't have the the rights uh, to utilize the footage, and this was a means by which to to overcome that. Uh, we could we didn't need to have a a, a kind of a, a Getty Images license, for example. We didn't have to uh, purchase the rights to the broadcaster. Or from the broadcaster, and we could we could create images um, and, and and utilize photographs in interesting ways that allowed us to to do it a lot more, I suppose, a lot more cheaply as well. Well, cheaply, but then it's quite innovative. And you reduce you bring up footage. It's kind of footage can be flat because that's all you get. The illustration, like I said, it's three dimensional. But I'm curious because I I do I've seen a lot of stuff from TIFF. I've looked at your stuff as well with the uh, baseline and baseline tennis as well. So, do you have particular reference points or inspirations for that animation style, artistic style? Is there anything you could, or is it just this confluence of different things you've seen? What are some inspirations behind it? I think you know the the truth is 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 especially talking about tennis. The narratives in tennis are very one-dimensional, uh, simply because it is a a singular sport as opposed to a team sport. So the way that the narratives work is as a means by which to to grab an audience. So there's going to be the hero and there's going to be the villain, uh, and there's no room for context within that that narrative. And I think a, a good example of that was. I don't know if you watched the, the the Australian Open at all, uh, but in the men's semi-finals, you had uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas playing uh, Daniil Medvedev. And in the first 15 minutes of that match, I think the commentator, or certainly the commentator over here in, in the UK, mentioned the term Greek god in reference to Stefanos Tsitsipas about 150 times. And this notion that he was this heroic character who was going to go out there and be, uh, you know, defeat, defeat the the Russian, the man behind the Iron Curtain who who plays this nondescript style of tennis, who plays this boring game, uh, came came shining, came shining through, and. Uh, it was a little bit, in my opinion, a little bit disrespectful for Daniel Medvedev because Daniel Medvedev is somebody who had, at that time, had a five-to-one head-to-head against Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, had achieved a great uh, and has achieved a far great deal more than Tsitsipas, but he was being cast as this this almost villain, yeah. and it's that concept concept. There is this lack of context within tennis. And I think what we try to do with our with our style, with with our illustrations and, and and what have you, is try to to add depth, to take it from a, a two dimensional to the three dimensional. And one of the things that we like to do also is borrowing from that kind of hero villain narrative. The illustrations that we use are often. Uh, could be borrowed, if you will, from a kind of a superhero comic to a certain yeah. extent. You know, there's that that style of it, but I think it's it's what's more interesting is the the context and the depth that we want to 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 get out of it. Now, 
one of the, the frustrations that we have with, or I, I have, and which why I started baseline tennis was this 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 one dimensional lack of context around tennis reportage. And I definitely wanted to take that into a, a, a 3D style. Now, with football uh, and with TIFO, it was far more 2D in nature. Uh, and you could do that because it was very tactical. You kind of had a bird's eye view, if you will, of the of the field and you could show the tactical setups and how everybody is, is moving. But tennis is so different. Tennis is so much more about that 3D element. It's about height. It's about depth of shot. It's about where that player is standing in relation uh, to the court, to the other player, to, to their surroundings. And it's one of the reasons we ultimately want to, and we are already starting to work with sort of augmented reality. And we are trying to bring that into into the way we, we tell the story in order to move it away from that one-dimensional or, or, or two-dimensional aspect into the 3D, create context to create height, depth, and movement. Um, and then I think also going back to my comment about the, the kind of the superhero, I think, I think all too often in an attempt to grab new audiences, uh, perhaps from other sports, uh, which is constantly tennis's quest yeah they almost do a disservice to their to their primary assets which are the players themselves because they simplify what they they do they almost dumb it down for for, for the audience and i think what we want to show is the fact that you know at the end of the day whether you are novak Djokovic or rafael nadal or roger federer or you ranked 200 300th in the world you're a phenomenal athlete. You know, to, to be at this level of the game, you are an absolutely phenomenal athlete. You are a superhero in your own right, in your own respect. And we want to provide that kind of feeling and that illustration through our storytelling. Quite often with tennis, it's usually the top 5, 10, 15 players are ring-fenced, get all the coverage, get all the plaudits, get most <clears> of the press, and then it's, I can't think of any press of anyone outside the top 50, for example. Yeah. So there is that, there is a lack of equalization where the stories are geared towards top Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Williams. So yeah. it's. And, and it extends, you know, Clint, it, it, it extends beyond that. You know, yeah. you're talking about singles here. How many stories are there about doubles? How many stories are there about mixed doubles? Very How few. many stories are there about wheelchair tennis outside of, of a Grand Slam or, 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 or the Paralympics? And I think this is this is something that we are, are, are trying to, to tackle with baseline tennis. We're trying to say, listen, tennis is the product, not Roger Federer, not Novak yeah. Djokovic, not Rafael Nadal. Tennis is the product, and this – Tennis is played in a, uh, a variety of formats in so much as singles, doubles, mixed doubles, wheelchair tennis. And there's a, a vast cast of, of persons, of characters yeah. that are playing the game. And let's, let's tell their stories. Therefore, that also says that there's a lot of fragmentation of tennis itself. ATP to a WTA to a um, 
futures and there's challenger, challenger as well. There's fragmentation of tennis tournaments and tours. There's a global nature to it. So it's because of this fragmentation, stories are difficult to pick up and put down and maintain. Uh, what is the challenge of this fragmentation across tennis and even other individual sports like golf, which we may get into? But this fragmentation across tennis, it's, it's a challenge to be solved in terms of mm. storytelling. And I think, I think one of the biggest issues within tennis is the, the nature of the, the tour itself. You've got to remember that tennis is the, has the longest season of any professional sport. Um, I think when you and I spoke previously, I mentioned that if you were to take the 52 weeks of the year, if you are a um, uh, contracted player, and by that I mean you are typically in the top 30 of the, the men's or the women's game, uh, you have to play in all the Masters events or, or the vast majority of the Masters events. Uh, you qualify for the ATP finals come the end of the year, uh, perhaps even you go one step further and you are in the expanded uh, Davis Cup format uh, that, that that Cosmos Group have and the yeah. ITF have produced. Um, your season out of a 52-week year is 48 to 49 weeks. So that is a vast amount of, of time. Then when you start to look at the nature of the tour itself and, and what's happening week to week, uh, Tennis is in, is unique in that you never know because of the knockout stages how long you are going to be participating in a given yeah. event. But even if you take that down to a kind of a, a micro level, tennis is such that you don't know as a player actually what time you're going to step onto a court because you're waiting for that previous match to to finish and that match might go into three sets or five sets uh, by the same token. It, it, it might lo only last two or three, or, or there might be a walkover. And all of these little events make it very difficult for tennis to kind of take a pause, take a break and kind of review uh, and, and to, to look back. It's always about the progression. It's always about where that player is going to go next. Okay, they're going through the second round, the third round, the quarterfinals, or they've been knocked out right. They're off to to the next. They're off to to Miami. They they're off to Cincinnati, wherever it might be that they they're headed to next on their on their tour schedule. It's always about who's going to be the number one number one ranked player. Come Monday, when the ATP the weekly ATP rankings or the WTA rankings are are released, tennis is a sport that looks forward. It yeah. doesn't look back. It doesn't pause or have sufficient time to pause in order to reflect and to collect learnings. Um, and I think that 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 is fundamentally one of the biggest problems because if you are somebody who is new to the to the game of tennis uh, or, uh, or or new to viewing the game of tennis, it's very difficult to jump on to the to the juggernaut that is the the tour schedule because it is so fast moving and there are so many intricacies 
to it that is very difficult to 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 catch up um the other problem you've got obviously is the fragmentation of the tours itself you've got the ITF you've got the WTA you've got the ATP tours um where is the information about those tours well you know they're about the ATP they're about the WTA they're about uh the, the Davis Cup or the Billie Jean King Cup uh they're about the Challenger tour they're all located disparately around the uh, <laughs> around the, the the internet uh and you find that information is is extremely extremely difficult uh, and therefore it impacts the interest in their content. You know, uh, the, the vast majority of people are, are interested in the ATP and then some people are interested in the WTA. And it's almost a case to a certain respect that never the two shall mix. You know, mm. you go here for your male content, you go here for your female content, you go here for your, uh, for your, for your, your wheelchair content. Uh, and, and once again, it goes back to that point about tennis at its very core is fragmented. Yes. It's, it's, it's cannibalizing itself almost because not only is it competing against other sports in order to get coverage, it's competing against itself. The ATP is competing against the WTA, which is competing against wheelchair tennis. Uh, and, and, and this fragmentation does make storytelling difficult because what happens off off the back of it, because tennis isn't the product, the players have become the product. Now, what we want is is players who are going to transcend the game of tennis. That's what what you want to focus on so that you can capture members of a different audience. It's no point talking about the number 50 or the 60 in the world because uh, only, only... Tennis fans are going to probably know who that person is, but you're trying to reach out to a a football fan or a cricket fan here. So the conversation then becomes solely around, you know, you you, you said earlier, um, the conversation kind of focuses around those those 10, 15 players. Yeah. I, I would have to disagree with you there. It's focused around probably five players across both the ATP and the WTA. And, and, and you listed them there. You know, it's, it's, it's all about Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, uh, and, and Serena Williams. And it's all about the GOAT debate, the greatest of all time. It's all about if and when Serena is going to win that 24th Grand Slam title and equal Margaret Court and, you know, put to rest or put to bed any kind of argument as to who the greatest of all time is on the female game. Um, and the problem you've got, or the problem tennis is going to have in the future, is what happens in 12 to 18 months when Roger Federer steps away from the game of tennis? What's going to happen in probably two to three years when Rafael Nadal steps away from the court? Yes, obviously, other people will, will fill that gap. It might be Daniel Medvedev. It might be Stefanos Tsitsipas. It might be Alexander Zverev. Uh, it could be uh, Andrei Rublev. There's a hope. Someone will take will will take the 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 kind of um, the positions, but because the focal point for the better part of two decades has been on these three, four, or five players, 
when they w- walk away, there's going to be such a vacuum. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And and nobody right now, even today, they can see the, the writing is on the wall, but no one is even making an attempt to kind of, well, let's let's bleed in the next generation. Uh, what they do is they transpose the qualities of Nadal, Federer, mm. and Djokovic onto yeah. a younger generation. And that is why they become the focal point, not so much because of what they have achieved to date or what they might achieve in the future, but because uh, Grigor Dimitrov um, had a wonderful you know, single-handed backhand and uh, played a little bit like Federer. He was the next Federer. The same thing is yeah, happening now with Stefan Tsitsipas. You know, you, you've probably got your Daniel Medvedev in the form of a of a Novak Djokovic, in the sense that he has this kind of a nondescript style of 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 play. Uh, and then you you're looking for the next kind of uh, Rafael Nadal and this kind of uh, the, the Spanish bull and this you know fighter uh that that you're looking for uh, i think i think therein lies a problem with 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 tennis there, there's not a lot of forethought because i don't think and the reason for that is i don't think the schedule gives you the amount or the necessary amount of time to take pause to reflect and to kind of even plan ahead effectively because it's just week on week on week on week on week on i've got three weeks off but i've got to start training now for for the Oz open it never stops it's also well obviously it is for the players but then when you start thinking about uh, producing content journalism long form short form or anything like that is that do you ever have the does anyone ever have the time then to produce things to usher in the new generation because a lot of it is storytelling to usher in new generations rather than using the current generation as a reference point for the previous. So there is, it's very short term. Everything's short term. Everything is next, next, next. It, it's, it's to create these storylines of these new players and these new generations is really difficult, but there is untapped potential. I feel there's something there that you're yourselves a baseline, baseline tennis, baseline media. It's what you're creating to, or you're creating this ecosystem of 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 this breadth of storytelling. There is potential there, isn't there? Of course, there is. I think I think that's what the I think the real opportunity is when tennis and the way we're looking at it. And I think it's inevitable. Tennis will ultimately become the product rather than the tours themselves, and tennis will become the product rather than the individual players. And I think that's what the exciting opportunity is. It's the opportunity to not have to concern oneself with that 24-7 cycle because you can't have it both ways. The the, the cycle is too quick for you to kind by the time you've, you know, especially the formats that we use and we, our constant quest is to increase the pace at which we create these videos and these formats and, 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 you know, and shorter formats and what have you. But the truth is by the time You've you've finished one storyline. That player has possibly already played a game, has possibly already been knocked out, has possibly uh, something else has has possibly happened that kind of is is more important, and more prominent, and you kind of left left with this piece now that is oh, what what what, what do I do with it? 
So the reality is you, you, you have to take a, make a choice. You, you can either uh, follow the 24-7 news cycle uh, or you can create content that is far more evergreen in, in, in nature uh, that uses reference points, you know, from the uh, either current or from the recent past in order to, to make your argument. Um, and, and that's what we've chosen to do. And I think that that's where the, the, the opportunity, opportunity is, uh, because you, you, you can't, you can't, you simply cannot have it, have it both ways. But I think the yeah. real opportunity is when tennis itself becomes a pro because tennis has such a, a rich history and it has so many, um, characters, uh, and, and just professional athletes you know you 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 often hear um i know patrick moritoglio is one who, who you know in the promotion of his uh ultimate tennis showdown is is very quick to reference the fact that oh the game doesn't have the characters anymore well that's absolute nonsense yeah. tennis is filled with characters if we only choose to shine a spotlight onto them well, you've got to let them, you've got to let them rather than kind of crush it a little bit. Exactly. You, you've got to shine a spotlight on them. You've also got to understand that you can't compare the so-called characters from, uh, you know, 40 years ago, your your Connors, your, your, your McEnroe's, your Nastasi. <laughs> you can't compare them in the social media and access uh, availability that we have today yeah. because – Everything that they did in the past is, it happened, yes, but it's looked back with absolute nostalgia because the vast majority of people who tell the stories, oh, you know, do you remember, I don't know, McEnroe's outburst at, at Wimbledon, uh, the can you be serious outburst? You know, 90% of the people weren't there and have watched it secondhand and their imaginations of it is so more fruitful and so more, uh, you know, legend-like than, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're people shouting and swearing and jumping up and down at, at umpires every single day in the modern game. Uh, we see it, uh, whether we like it or not, um, you know, that, that used to pass as a character 40 years ago, not, yeah. not so much today. Indeed, yes. It's, I mean, the the general reportage of it is, oh, such and such is has is having a tantrum and so forth and so forth. Where it's, you know, it's a, it's a cutthroat sport and a game of such minute, you know, minute millimeters. So yeah, of course you're going to lose your cool at some point. It's don't beat down the characters and kind of let them flourish a little bit. But you know, tennis players can be a bit guarded as well. Yeah, they're they're pretty. PR savvy, press savvy, it can be, they say the right things quite often. And you look at some of the post-match interviews at Australian Open, any of the press you see, they're very guarded within themselves at times. It's, it's, it's a very good point. And I think, you know, I, I had a long uh, discussion uh, with, with somebody the other day around, around this question. And my belief is that, Tennis has an access issue. The mm. problem with tennis uh, is not so much access, but what that access actually is and what that represents. Now, to be fair to tennis players, 
they are, you know, within the rules, the you know, you look at the ATP or the WTA rule book, they have to mandatory have certain interviews. And yeah. you you look the I mean, have have a look during the Australian Open this year. You know, they've just won a match and they go and get interviewed. They have a ridiculous interview on court. <laughs> they walk off and they probably have two or three other interviews right there and there with different t- TV stations. They then go off and, and uh, have a shower. They then have their official press conference uh, and the, the the reporters there and ask them 110 different different questions. Uh, and then, then they move on and goodness knows how many things they have, have after that. And... All of those engagements are very, very uh, well controlled. Uh, yeah. There will be a uh, you know a coordinator on hand for each of those things, kind of no saying no, don't ask that question, ask this question. Okay, no, time's up. He's got to move on, or she's got to move on. So the, the access that you're given, you know, it all adds up. It's ten minutes here, fifteen minutes there, twenty minutes there. It all all adds up, but it's very controlled. And it's very, um, you kind of know the questions that are going to be asked before they are even asked. What was interesting, though, I felt the the the, the difference uh, at, at this Australian Open was with the social distancing. Um, I found that there was a, a far wider variety of, of questions hmm. being asked. It might have been because reporters were sat at home in their bedroom or in their lounge and they felt comfortable just asking, you know, oh, I feel quite comfortable here. No one's around me. I'm not going to get a, a, you know, a, a skew eyeball looking at me. I'm going to ask <laughs> this question. Uh, I, I, felt that, I felt that was quite refreshing. But I think, I think you know, with 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 tennis, I think the the kind of access that is being provided um, or asked of tennis players, and then what you get out of it, isn't very insightful or or even interesting. Yeah, it's just control. It, it's yeah, it's just it's very yeah, it's very controlled. It's very uh, sponsored. I mean, you've got to please the sponsors. It's very yeah, just something that feels like. I personally feels like there's something you just got to think. It's just got to break away for a little bit. It feel it's just this this restrictive feel to it. Yeah, and I think you you make a good point as well. In so much as uh, tennis players or, or sports persons these days are a lot more uh, savvy in terms of building a brand, um, they they also are are understanding of the fact that their career has a limited time span and they need to effectively monetize that because, you know, at the end of the day, when they hang up their racket uh, or, or whatever sports equipment they're using, when that comes to an end, they want to be in a position whereby possibly they don't have to do anything more uh, or they have to kind of build their career towards, well, I'm going to go into X, Y, and Z, and therefore I need to build my reputation and my brand around yeah. I'm doing that. I think a more cynical thing to say would be a, a lot of sportsmen and women, when they've reached a certain level, there's that realization that actually they they can possibly uh, be more financially secure uh, by the brand that they create rather than the success that they get on the court or on the field or wherever they, 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 they're playing. Yeah. And if they can 
build the correct kind of audience in the correct kind of markets, um, they could end up making more money out of, I don't know, endorsements that they do out of out of prize winnings. And that is just as good and just as important. So in that respect, I, I, I do think that there is this, there's this, this uh, whether it comes from the players themselves or, or, or the agents or other members of their backroom teams, there is this feeling of, I'm not going to answer that question or I'm going to answer it in a certain way. Yeah. Uh, because then I don't offend anybody. Uh, I don't kind of divide opinion. Uh, I can do X, Y, and Z, and 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 that's fine. That that that's that's what I'm going to. That's what I'm going to do. Just a couple more questions. Just looking at the content that is produced uh, that you are producing at Baseline Tennis, especially the short form video. What are some of the intriguing things about producing for YouTube, for Instagram? I know tennis for the most part works very well on Instagram. How does how do you how do you foresee baseline tennis working across YouTube, across Instagram, across any platform? Is there any particular um, styles, ideas, any learnings, anything that you what works best? Well, <clears throat> I think I think it's important to note that you know. At this stage, you know, Baseline Tennis only launched uh, in the back end of of December of, of yeah. last year. So we're very much in our in our infancy. I'd say, you know, at the moment we're getting a bit of tummy time and we're learning to hold our our, our heads up. I think where our focus is at the moment is is kind of learning about different formats and and what works and what doesn't work. We're not too concerned at the moment about kind of subscribers or how many views we're getting or even what necessarily the level of engagement is with the content. At the moment, it's very much focused on understanding what we are doing from a production perspective and where we can take our, our, our content. So to give you an idea, when we started creating um, our, our YouTube content, uh, it was taking us about 12 hours to do one minute of, of video. video. Uh, we've cut that down now to probably anywhere between two to, to three hours in order to make that one minute. So there's a, it's taken us, oh, it's taken us the better part of, you know, a year for us to get to that, to that point. Uh, and our focus has up until this point been very much focused on um, YouTube content, which is certainly our our longer form content and our more in-depth content uh, and that's going to 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 stay the case going forward i think we'll utilize youtube for those more in-depth pieces uh and 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 that that's where that content will sit talking about you know shorter form content or certainly instagram content i think where the opportunity lies within tennis is through data-driven analysis uh, and mm-hmm. telling stories through through data. I think that is, you know, the use of analytics in tennis is, is kind of very much in its infancy here. And we know from TIFO, when we started TIFO, uh, we were in the kind of the same position where where it was with football at that stage. You know, yeah. everyone, you know, it had moved from, championship or football manager now into to real life and it was just before uh 
um, analytics were, were going to play a really big role in how football was viewed, understood, and 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 even now today, the way clubs are are run. And I see that tennis is on the cusp of that. It's yeah. very so much, much data. There's so much data. data. So much. Yeah. And I think that's where the opportunity is going to come with creating content around uh, Twitter, around uh, Instagram, around TikTok. Yeah. Uh, I think that is the opportunity to provide a greater level of, of context, depth, and understanding to the data around tennis and to tell stories utilizing that data. Because by doing so, you know, you can really get people to un- better understand the, the the intricacies of the game and to actually enjoy the game so much more. Because at the moment, when you watch tennis, the 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 the, the data that is being shared, the stories that are trying to be told carry no context, they carry no depth. And uh, for the most part, they just play me wrong. You know, it's 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 foolish to even be, be looking at a pet, a pet peeve of mine, to be honest, okay. is the the tail of the set or the tail of the match and the the same uh you know first serve percentage, second serve percentage, points won, unforced errors, you know, break points earned, break points won. Some some of that information can be useful, but for the vast majority, it's it's not very helpful unless you double click down two or three times to understand the the, the true nature of those yeah. of those of those statistics. Um, and I think that's the really the big opportunity now, especially in the shorter form of it, because you can take the time in order to explain something. And that is something that the broadcasters most notably do not have. That's right. They've only got five minutes before the next next match starts up or that next match is already on course. Uh, They've only got uh, five minutes between the players walking out in the court and then the the start of of the first point. So they have a limited time in which to discuss certain things and as is so often, because they lack the time, they, they oversimplify or they dumb down what they are doing. Uh, and there's a hesitancy to break new ground because they don't want to upset their existing audience and they don't want to, they, they, they're kind of trying to capture a new audience. And the feeling is, is well, this is, our, this is our template and this is what we're going to go with. Uh, and so it's, it's the tried and tested formula the amount of content that is available through data and the amount of data that is captured by the likes of of Hawkeye, I mean, you could have an absolute field day, but it's not in Hawkeye's interest. They, they you know, they they're a, a data seller. You know, they, they'll sell you a data stream. What you want to do do with it is is up to you uh, as a broadcaster. And the broadcasters are sitting there going, "Well, you know, our main aim is to." to show them the the matches that we've bought the rights to. Um, and this is kind of, we're going to, you know, throw this in a little bit because we've done it for 50 years. It doesn't need to change. Uh, and let's go with that. There is opportunities there. There's much opportunities. But now, final question. You're very new. What does the year look like? What does 2021 look like? It's any developments? 
I did mention golf anyway. We can go into that a little bit, but what are the goals? What are the goals now to as you experiment and and develop new stories and develop new content and all these kinds of things across new platforms? What's in development? What are some goals as we go into the rest of 2021? I think the first goal we set out with was, you know, the YouTube content, the long form content. Uh, and it was very much a kind of blinkers on what we're going to concentrate here is how do we make these videos? How long does it take to make these videos? What is the cost to making these videos? And uh, I think we, we've got a very good handle on that. And it's taken, I mean, we started creating content, I think, in July of last year. So it's we, 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 we've been doing it now for the better part of eight or nine months. And I'd say it's taken that long for us to go, okay, we know how much long-form content for YouTube we can create. We know what the lead time is for it. We know what the processes that are involved in it. Great. We know what that cost is going to be. Great. Tick, you know. Uh, but now what we're doing is we're looking at, okay, let's look at short-form content. And by short-form content, I mean content that lasts anywhere between about 15 and 30 seconds. Yeah. And I think that's where we are right now. We are in the process of creating formats in order to kind of populate your 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 your, your Twitters or your Instagram reels and things like that. And, and, and that's what we're working at at the moment. And it's difficult to say how long that's going to 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 take. Yeah. Um, I don't expect it to take as long as eight to nine months, but we've got to find different forms that that work. Uh, and then we've got to massage those and manipulate those in so much as um finding the content that works for them and what what the audience is 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 interested in 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 watching and learning after that period we would move into kind of what i would call the the you know the, the middle format which is probably anything from about uh 30 seconds to about 2 minutes in length yeah uh, and i think going forward, looking much further to the future, that's going to be our core of, of content that we create. That's going to be something because you have there's sufficient time to take, to explain things, uh, to engage the audience, to keep them engaged, uh, and to have them feel once that content is finished, that they've they've learned something and that yeah. they can be, be you know what they've learned is better for them and they can enjoy the next match or the next game. Um, I think one of the 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 big elements in that regard, and I mentioned it earlier, is uh, augmented reality. Yes. And, and that into it, and that's something that we've already started working on uh, because height, depth, movement is so important to tennis. Um, and I think when you watch content, specifically content on, you know, Twitter, where the majority of uh, tennis content is consumed, uh, it's, you know, there, there, there's so much footage from the likes of ATP Media, for example, oh, or, or Grand Slam TV channels and stuff like that, where they're showing a, a point and it's from one angle, it's from one camera view, and they, oh, what a great point. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Um, and there's no there's, there's no kind of understanding. And, and I think what we want to do is we want to show you, well, if you're going to explain the, the wonderful nature of, of Rafael Nadal's forehand, for example, uh, 
Well, you can't tell that story without being able to explain how far back in the court he stands, what the height of that tennis ball is when he at the contact point, what the return shot is doing, where it's landing, how it's landing, how it's biting the surface, how it's shooting up, how high the opponent then has to, to be if they're going to take it you know, on the bounce or at the top of the bounce. All of those stories are so important. And in order for that, you need to be able to show effectively height and, and movement and depth. It's like, in some ways, this is my interpretation, it's creating a sense of, I guess, wonder about the mechanics of the sport. It's more, you know, explaining how Nadal plays a forehand is actually unbelievable. The way, the width, the bounce, the high, it's, some of it is about just creating a sense of a bit of accessibility yet wonder because there's, because you don't see a lot of it in in tennis as opposed to, you know, you look at football and there's so much of it. So I think, yeah, creating that sense of that's how good he is or who she is and or who they are. So, and I mean, it goes back to a point I made a little bit earlier in our discussion is that all too often the way tennis players are described in the lead up to a match or even post-match mm-hmm. uh, is, is such, um, it's doing them such a disservice uh, and it's it's not you, you you're not understanding what an incredible athlete you have to be to play this sport. Yeah. Uh, whether you're number one in the world or number two hundred in the world, you are an incredible athlete. And what we want to do is we want to bring that bring that forward. Um, so many stories are not told about tennis because no. <laughs> Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's just, well, this is how it's done and been done for 50 years. I don't know exactly why it is, but there are solutions. But for some reason in tennis, there's nobody I can find who are trying to find those solutions. It's just it's it's just reinventing the same wheel over and over again. Maybe it's slightly better, but there's no giant leaps. And there's no desire for there to be giant leaps. And I think that is, that's something that I think baseline tennis wants to, to bring to it. Uh, and what the, the illustrative um, style that we have allows us to do that. It allows us to do so much more than just taking flat footage yeah. uh, and to, 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 tell those, to tell those stories, I, which I should have brought up. But the interesting thing was, you, you, you talk about the data and the fragmentation of tennis. Now, yeah. the data itself is also fragmented. Yeah. And that data is either owned by Infosys, it's owned by uh, Hawkeye, or it's owned by the individual tournaments themselves. It could be owned by the ATP uh, if it's the, one of the Masters events. It could be owned by the ITF if it's the Billie Jean King Cup or the, the Davis Cup, or it's owned by the um, respective Grand Slams and their, their, their associations or, or, or federations. And that, that's a problem. Where do you get your information? Oh, you, you have to buy this data set from this company, this data set from this company. And then there's also questions and queries and issues in terms of how that um, data is collected and how sound that, that data is. Now, if it's coming from an Infosys or a Hawkeye, 
it's, that's absolutely fine. But what you find on the internet is there are so many um, companies and individual persons who, who have these wonderful collections of data and, and match information. But there's question marks over, well, how has that been calculated? How good, you know, the tagging is a big thing in tennis. How was that tagged? Who tagged it? How how focused were they during the tagging process? Uh, and, you know, because we, we started working with a... Um, uh, 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 an analytics company who who service mm. federations and uh, and uh, individual players, uh, professional players, and talking to 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 Mike about that, he's he's like, you know, I I, I thought I could get a head start by using this data set from this person because I was looking at this uh, this opponent for my player, and uh, after he'd watched one or two matches and and reflected on what he'd written down in terms of the data set and what was given to him. From the other, per- they would. It was like they were two different matches. And I think that this is the, 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 there's a lack of purity, if you will, within the data sets themselves, which makes the storytelling process that more difficult. Uh, because people, you know, they, they they they're looking at different fields, possibly, but also what's important from to one player and one coach and one fan to another is also. Yep. miles apart which makes that that storytelling process so difficult it's really interesting yeah i want to see oh yeah i want to track you want to track your progress i want to track the i want to track baseline tennis progress so we'll, we'll we're going to pick this up so neil just want to say thank you for joining me having this good conversation as well it's an absolute pleasure but thanks very much it was a pleasure being on thank you a big thank you to neil for doing the interview We'll have links to Baseline Media and all of their content in our show notes. As for Bullpen, you can follow all of our socials, which will also be in the show notes too. On our socials, we're currently dropping videos and vignettes on companies and startups you should know more about. Thank you for listening in. Be good and bye for now.